Well, good evening, everybody. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. But before we go there, I, I need to apologize to you. I have a confession to make. For the last several years, I've felt impressed by the Holy Ghost to pray that Satan's plans would be exposed and revealed. And uh, you remember last fall, late last fall, I guess it was, when the impeachment things were going on and it ended up in January? Well, that was me. The devil's plans were being revealed and were exposed. Then after that, in January also, the COVID-19 pandemic began. That was me too. Prayers being answered. Now we're in this thing where the riots are taking place nationwide. And I'm sorry, but that's me too. It seems on every hand, the devil's plans are being revealed and exposed. So I thought maybe the thing to do this evening is to look at some things that Jesus said about the end, signs of the end, and so forth. Matthew 24, verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Well, we know that's exactly what happened in 70 A.D. when the Romans sacked the temple. Apparently, part of the mortar that was used in Herod's temple contained gold dust to put between the stones. And that was why the stones were taken apart one by one so that none was left on the other, just like Jesus said. Verse 3, And as he sat down upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Notice there's a difference between the sign of Jesus coming and the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Notice verse 5, many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. And also verse 4 where Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. I used to read over those scriptures as just kind of an introduction to what Jesus was about to say. But I'm at the point now where I believe that's the most important thing that he did tell us about the end. There will be such deception. There will be deception on every hand and a lot of it has to do with those that are preaching Christ notice he said in verse 5 many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many I'm not one to think that any of us are going to be taken uh, taken unawares by somebody saying that they're the Christ it's got to be something more than Jesus just saying that people will come and say that they're the Messiah well, I tell you, looking at some of the things that uh, uh, some of the church leaders and pastors and ministers are saying about the things that are going on, their responses have absolutely no basis in Bible doctrine, whatever. They're being moved and, and guided by their emotions rather than by the truth of the word. And there's a lot of deception in that. And I wonder 
if that could be part of this end time deception that Jesus warned us about. We've always had an, en an enemy and an adversary. And the Bible tells us the adversary's ways. He just travels one road and that is the road to deception. But he's always done that. But here Jesus is talking about deception in a greater measure than maybe ever before. He seems to be putting an emphasis on the, the uh, taking heed that you be not deceived. Much more so than any other time or any other part of his earthly ministry. So it could very well be that the deception in the last days would be greater than any other time. Verse 6, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now this, uh, this verse 7, nation shall rise against nation. The word nation is the word ethnos. And it's where we get our word ethnic or ethnicity and, and uh, other um, parts or um, uses of the word ethnic. So he's talking about race relations. He's saying blacks will war against whites. Then he says kingdom against kingdom. This word kingdom means rulers. So he's talking about countries. So here where he's talking about nations shall rise against nation, blacks shall rise against whites. Other nations, other ethnic groups would be included in that as well. But then he's talking about the, the work or the actions of nations. Well, look at some of the things that China has done. And of course, we're supposed to accept and think that it wasn't intentional. But some of the things that they've done in their virology research and the release of some of the viruses that have taken place makes me wonder if this was intentional. They sure tried to cover their tracks. So that's a means of waging war. We know that, uh, uh, that America is under attack daily as far as cyber warfare is concerned. We kind of have the idea, and I think we get a lot of it through TV and our movies, that war was just a certain way where the troops advanced on enemy troops and things like that. But there's a lot of other ways to wage war today. There's a lot of other ways for nations to act up against or act out against other nations. And, it's, and that word is, uh, that they use concerning that is kingdom. And then it says there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. But the Middle East has been greatly damaged by the greatest swarm of locusts in the, in the history of Israel, really, or the history of the Middle East, I should say. There are things that are taking place that don't get much reporting, that don't get much airtime because it's pretty low on the priority list compared to some of the other things. But there's, uh, well, I read something this morning where these locusts, have been swarming from country to country and they just went through India and India was devastated by them. They stripped every tree, every leaf, every green thing off of the, the, the whole nation, basically. And the end result of that is going to be famines. They're talking about the famines that they can expect because of some of the things that have happened. 
So it's something we'll be able to keep our eyes on and see take place. Pestilences means plagues. I guess this pandemic, this COVID-19 thing would, would uh, qualify as uh, a pestilence or a plague. And then it mentions earthquakes in diverse places. I checked uh, this morning online. I meant to do it again later in the day, but I forgot. But just before noon, there were reported 47 earthquakes around the world in a magnitude of 2.5 or greater. They've gotten to where they don't even keep track of the smaller ones. But these are earthquakes, 47 of them that are 2.5s or greater. I think the, the biggest one that I saw anywhere was a 5.9. And that doesn't even make the news anymore, I guess. But we don't think about these things because they don't happen. And all these things are not happening right now in our own country. But when Jesus talks about earthquakes in diverse places, he's talking about around the world. All these are the beginning of sorrows, he said. Verse 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Here where he talks about this, he's referring specifically to persecution. Well, the church is under persecution now, beginning in America. And even though it's pretty slight or pretty light concerning uh, or in comparison to other parts of the world, the American church is just getting its first taste of what it's like to be persecuted. The persecution that we're experiencing now is in relation to this COVID-19 thing. But they're putting restrictions on churches that nobody else has to follow. They're placing restrictions on church, what we can and can't do, in such a measure that it's inconsistent and really it's discriminatory because there aren't the same restrictions being made on other stores or other places of business or other areas like they are with the church. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. Again, it goes back. I, I really don't pay attention to this kind of stuff. I don't care who's who. But Beth keeps up with who the leaders of these big churches are around the country and that type of thing. And I'm subjected to listening with her when she listens to some of this stuff. And I'm amazed at the, the millions of people that these guys, these ministers have following them. And the complete absence of Bible doctrine in their reaction to some of these riots and uh, the race relations issues and those types of things that are going on. If we don't have the Word of God to base our response or our lives, our actions, our behavior on in these last days, when would we think we would ever need it? There's a greater need for God's Word put in practice in our lives today than ever before. Verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Notice it says the gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. That's talking about with proof or evidence. It's talking about a manifestation of the glory of God. It's talking about a manifestation and a display of God's power. It's talking about the glory of God in the last days. Now I want you to look with me also to Matthew chapter 7. 
Jesus in coming to a close, coming to an end of the Sermon on the Mount, which everybody agrees is the masterpiece of his ministry. Verse 24, he said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings that people were astonished at his doctrine. They weren't astonished at him. They were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Notice the words that are in italics in verse 29. Anytime in the King James there's a word in italics, it means that the translators added it and it's not there in the original text. Now the translators obviously thought that the reason people were astonished was because Jesus had shown himself, in this case through his teaching, in other places and other uh, parts of his ministry, his earthly ministry, he showed himself through signs and wonders and healings and miracles, showed himself to be the Son of God. And so we would casually read this to see that their understanding was that the people were astonished because Jesus taught them the way that he did or Jesus displayed his power as the Son of God. He proved that he was the Son of God in some way or another. But that's not what it's saying. Notice it says, He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. If you take out those words that are in italics, you'll find that it says that he taught as one having authority, or he taught as having authority, not one. One is the word in italics. But he taught as having authority. That, those words literally mean to take hold of. He taught them how to hold authority. He's teaching them that man has authority on the earth. So when, he, when we back up to verse 24 again, where he talks about the person that builds his house on the rock, he's talking about the use or the exercise of authority. Now, folks, we know that has to be true. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, in the creation account, it says God said, to Jesus and the Holy Ghost, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let them have dominion or authority over all the works of our hands. Well, folks, God never changes. If God intended man to have authority on the earth in the beginning, then he still intends for man to have authority now. He never planned for sin to take over the, uh, the earth. He never planned for man to be bound into sin. But that didn't change him. Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden didn't change God's purpose for a man in the least. God said himself, I am God, I change not. Well, then that means his will never changes. That means what God wanted for a man in the beginning, which was authority over all the works of his hands, authority over the whole earth. That's what he wants now. He doesn't change. He hadn't changed one little bit. So here Jesus comes to the earth, and he starts teaching man that man has authority. He begins to teach not that he's the son of God, so I have authority. He laid aside his heavenly power and glory, Philippians chapter 2 tells us. And in so doing, he took upon himself the nature of a man. He ministered here on the earth as a man anointed of the Holy Ghost, not as the son of God. Jesus referred to himself 
60 out of 65 times in the four gospels as the son of man not the son of God and of the other five three of them were in one context where he is talking about being the son of God but all the rest of the time the vast majority of his ministry he identified himself as the son of man and not the son of God so here Jesus comes along telling mankind just exactly what God intended for him in the beginning he taught man how to hold authority he taught man how to exercise authority, which is through the words of our mouths. He taught man that he was the one that had a say in his life. He wasn't subject just to the devil's whim or whatever the devil decided was going to be. We have a choice. We have authority in the name of Jesus. Now, I want you to look with me also to the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 21. The writer of Proverbs is telling about wisdom and the importance of wisdom and operating on wisdom in your life. That would be the same as being a doer of the word, building your house on the rock. He said, my son, let them, not talking about the word of God, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then thou shalt walk in the way safely and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the, the, the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Folks, we're in a time where people are freaking out. We live in a day where people are operating in such fear, greater levels of fear than they've ever known. The uncertainty of everything in our in our society everything in our country the uncertainty uncertainty is so high that people are being affected by it in ways that they never planned for in ways that they were not prepared for or equipped and uh, i'm not sure the church has done a very good job of making people ready i'm not sure the church has done a very good job of teaching who we are in christ teaching the fact that we have authority just like jesus taught the the multitudes when he was here man has authority on the earth we need to know what that is we need to know how to operate in it well we know that confirms other things about jesus ministry in luke chapter 10 for example when the 70 are sent forth into all the cities before jesus would come they came back and reported that even the devils were subject to him in the name of jesus and jesus says in luke 10 19 Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He's talking about total protection. He's talking about an authority that enables you to live over the circumstances of life, to walk on the, uh, Satan's neck, to put your foot on his head, and to exercise authority in such a way that we live free, no matter what else is going on around us. Now, I want you to look with me also in the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. God gives the church instruction to bring comfort so that we not be taken in by fear. Isaiah 41 verse 10, it says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. 
Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now notice that. He says, don't be afraid because God is with you. If God's with you, there's nothing that we need to be concerned about that would happen to us. Just like Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, we just quoted. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Over all the power of the enemy. Over all the power of the enemy. Well, the power of the enemy is being displayed in a lot of ways. We know the power of the enemy is partly sickness and disease. Thank God Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us from the curse of sickness and disease. We have authority, therefore, in the name of Jesus. We don't have to succumb to sickness and disease. doesn't mean that we'll never be attacked, but it means we can overcome it no matter what the attack is, no matter how severe the attack is, no matter how long-lasting the attack is. We have authority to overcome it. Here, God, through the prophet Isaiah, is saying there's no need to fear, for I am with you. Over and over again, several times throughout the Bible, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, if he never leaves us, if he's always at our side, then we really don't have anything to fear. Paul said it this way. He said, God is with me. I will not fear what man will do unto me. Brother Hagin used to always quote that this way. He'd say, God is with me. Who cares what man tries to do to me? Because we have authority. So here God's saying the same thing. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Here's several already. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Now where he says, be not dismayed, the word dismayed means confounded. It means astonished to such a degree that you don't know what to do. It means being paralyzed. He said, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. He said, I will strengthen you. Well, we oftentimes feel so weak. That shouldn't be a problem because God strengthens us. Then he said, I will help you. Well, oftentimes we feel helpless. But don't worry, God said he'd help us. Then he said, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Turn with me to Isaiah 54 now. Verse 14. The Bible says, and we'll read a scripture that, that uh, bears this out later on in the service, I, I, I think, I'm planning to at least. But the Bible says pretty clearly in the last days, all nations shall be shaken. Anything and everything that can be shaken will be. Well, God's not intending to shake the church. God's not trying to dislodge the church from its faith or its belief in him. But notice this, Isaiah 54, verse 14. In righteousness thou shalt be established. The word established means firmly fixed. It means unmovable. If you want to live in these last days unmovable, unshaken, no matter whatever else is going on around us, the Bible's real clear in telling us how to do that. Remember, we referred to Matthew chapter 7 in verse 24, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. He was prepared for the storm. Because his house was built on the, the rock of God's word. Well, in the same way, it says, In righteousness shalt thou be established. Righteousness is that which Jesus has made available to us. There was a divine exchange, the Bible tells us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's in verse 21, it says, God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, 
that or so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, in the Old Testament, when Isaiah is speaking these words, righteousness was something that was imputed. They got a promissory note on it. But when Jesus went to the cross and was raised from the dead, made his sacrifice on our behalf, and was raised from the dead, that's when righteousness became a reality. That's when we became new creatures in Christ Jesus. That's when we became sons and daughters of God. And in that righteousness, that knowledge of who we are in him, in that righteousness we shall be established. We shall be unmovable. Folks, I think the church is going to be shaken in a lot of ways because we haven't built our, uh, a lot of people haven't built their house on the rock. Same storms come to both houses. The winds blew, the rains came, the floods rose up. Same storm, same adversity, same circumstances. But the one that built his house on the rock stood still, stood strong. The one that heard but didn't do the word, that house fell and great was the fall of it. I wonder how many Christians in our modern day church are going to fall into the, the category of building their house on the sand rather than the rock. I'm running into a lot of Christians that are just at wit's end, not knowing what to do, not knowing what's coming next. Thank God we can have assurances that God takes care of us. Thank God we can know that our victory is assured no matter what goes on around us. We can know that in the house of God there will be peace even if there's no peace anywhere else. So he says, in righteousness shalt thou be established. Our right standing through the blood of Jesus, not through our own works, but our righteousness through the work of Jesus is what gives us a firm foundation and makes us unmovable no matter what storms come against us. Then he goes on to say, thou shalt be far from oppression for or because thou shalt not fear. Notice your resistance of fear against fear. Your refusal to give in to fear has everything to do with the life that you live leave here on the earth. The life that you live here on the earth. I'll get it right in a minute. The life that we live, the life of authority, the life of victory comes at a price. And that price is you can't allow yourself to fear. Well, what's going to keep us from being in fear? What's going to keep us from being fearful? The knowledge of God's word and the authority that he's given us in his name. Yeah, but I just don't feel like I have authority. The Bible never said you'll feel like you have it. The Bible never said you'll feel strong. It tells us that we can be strong, though, because God's word never fails, and his name is greater than every other name. So he says, thou shalt be far from oppression because thou shalt not fear. Freedom from the work of the devil, free from the oppression of the devil, is freedom from fear. He goes further and says, and from terror. He means that won't come near you either. And from terror, for it shall not come near thee. He's talking about total victory. He's talking about victory in every way. Now, since we're here in Isaiah 54, let's just skip down to verse 17. Here's one that we all are familiar with, or most of us anyway. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Now, what weapons is he talking about? He's talking about the power of the devil. No weapon, no matter how he comes against you, no matter what he throws at you, 
Remember Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, the ability of the devil. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Folks, these are truths that we need to confess. These are things that we need to build into our hearts. Scriptures that we need to meditate on and speak to ourselves over and over and over again. The more we say them to ourselves, the more we feed on them, the more we put them into our heart and water them by speaking them over and over again, the greater authority we'll operate in, the greater consciousness of his righteousness we'll have. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. I'm going to read now from Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The desire of all nations shall come. Is talking about, you remember Paul mentioned that the earth is groaning or travailing until the appearance of the sons of God or the manifestation of the sons of God. That's talking about the church. It says the desire of all nations is talking about the earth. The earth doesn't want to be under the bondage of sin. The earth wasn't created to be un- under the bondage of sin. But the earth was delivered unto sin because of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. Original sin put the earth under turmoil and travail. And so all this time, all these thousands of years, the earth has been waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, the the world has been waiting for the reappearance, the reemergence of God-men just like it was before Adam and Eve fell. That's what the earth is waiting for. That's what God created the earth for. He created the earth to serve his man Adam and Eve, his wife. That's what the earth was designed to do. That's what the earth was intended for. It wasn't intended to be, under the sub, uh, to be subject to or under the, the dominion of Satan in any way whatsoever. So the earth is waiting for the appearance, the reemergence of the sons of God. It's waiting for the church to stand up and do the works of Jesus. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. He's talking about the power of God. He's talking about the presence of God. Then he says in verse 8, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Folks, it may very well come to the point where the only place of peace on the earth is the church. There has to be something in line with that for God to point it out. For the Holy Ghost to inspire these words to be written to the Old Testament prophets. Peace is going to be a big thing in the end. It's going to be a big thing in the earth. People are going to be searching for peace. They're going to see people just like them all around them that don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle themselves in these last days where the work of the devil increases more and more and men get worse and worse. But through the power of God, the healing power of God, the miracle working power of God, 
they'll see that the church is a place of peace. They'll see that the church isn't affected one way or the other by what's going on around us because we're standing on the word. Because our righteousness is the rock upon which our lives are built. James said the same thing in the New Testament. James chapter 5. Verse 7, he said, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Notice these things that are related to the rapture of the church. Now, just let me take just another moment or two and back up to verse 1. Because just as Haggai chapter 2 talks about all nations being shaken, the church being established and the church being held steady through the glory of God, just like in the middle of that God said the silver and gold is mine, notice what he says here in James chapter 5. Verse 1, Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. And the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped together treasure for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers which you have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. That's when he then says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. For the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. So both in the Old Testament talking about the state of the church, the condition of the church before the rapture, and the New Testament talking about the condition of the church before the rapture, both of those God inserts gold and silver as a part of those times and a part of those last days. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Well, when is it laid up for the just to be used? When does God expect that to come into the hands of the just so that we can use it? It certainly won't be any good after the rapture. The only time it's going to do us, the church, any good is if it's before the rapture. So remember, God said something about the church that we read in Haggai chapter 2, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than of the former. And in this place I will give peace. Apparently part of the peace that he gives to us is going to be financial provision and having enough when maybe the world around us doesn't. It's got to have some reason for God to speak to it. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Here's two witnesses right there where he talks about the gold and the silver being heaped together by the wicked for the last days. Now, I don't know exactly what to expect out of that, folks. I don't know if there's going to be an end-time transfer of wealth or if it's going to be some other way. And to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter to me. But I am greatly comforted by the fact that God knows that in these last days when the world is being shaken, and remember... If all nations are being shaken, we would expect the financial markets to be shaken too. Look how many people went from having jobs 
to being unemployed over this COVID-19 lockdown thing. There's reasons for us to look at those events and recognize the days that we live in. The jobs that people were trusting in, the jobs that people were counting on, those jobs dried up overnight. Now, I believe things will come back. I believe that, that they'll be, well, how do I say this? I believe the economy will bounce back for a period of time. But it's good for us to know and to recognize that we shouldn't put our faith in the things that we see, not even in the jobs that we have. We need to trust God to be our source and not our jobs. And God doesn't seem to have a problem with that. In fact, he seems to be inviting that very position. The gold and silver is mine, saith the Lord. You have heaped together treasure for the last days, James said by the Holy Ghost. Again, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Folks, there are going to be a lot of people that try to stand up and spit in God's eye in these last days. And we will see those people come to ruin on both our right hand and on our left. But because we build our house and build our lives on the word of God, we shall not fall to the storms that take others under. And we'll be able to help them. We'll be able to, to bring them in and show them the peace that can only come by Jesus being Lord of your life and coming into your heart. That's the precious fruit of the earth that Jesus is waiting for. Now, if you were God and you could do anything, how would you make or arrange the last days for maximum harvest, if not by displaying your power and your presence? You'd show people your goodness, not your judgment. You'd show people the healing power and the healing mercy of God to demonstrate that the power of the devil is subject to the name of Jesus. I think we've got some tremendous things to look forward to in the last days. And folks, the things that are going, around, going on around us, I believe, is an alarm bell for us. I believe the, the alarm is ringing loud and clear to make us aware of where we are on God's timeline, to prepare ourselves so that our house can stand because it's built on the rock of his word. Let's pray. Father, we bless your holy name. We thank you for your great plan of redemption. We thank you that Jesus consummated it and finished it and then sat down at your right hand. Father, we thank you that our righteousness is of you. And as such, we declare that we are righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that you are on our side. You are always on our side. And that as we put the word of God in practice in our lives, as we become doers of the word, we build a solid foundation upon that righteousness from which we cannot be removed. Now, Father, as we have prayed for a long time now, we thank you for continuing to expose the devil's plans, to make it clear to any and everyone that wishes to see just what the devil is doing and how he is using people to get it done. 
And Lord, we also pray for those that have willingly joined themselves to the devil's plans and purposes and his agenda. We pray that those people would come to ruin. We pray that their eyes would be open, Father, to see that your mercy and your love and the blood of Jesus is available to them that they might come into the family of God and abandon their own works. Father, we thank you for equipping us, for strengthening us, for helping us, and for upholding us with the right hand of your righteousness. We thank you, Father, for keeping us steady. Great peace have they that love your law, Father. And you keep our minds in perfect peace because we keep them fixed on your word. So, Father, we pray for peace for everyone under the sound of my voice, a supernatural peace, the peace of the Holy Ghost that Jesus left for us. We thank you for that peace. We thank you that we'll be able to sleep at night without worry, without concern. We'll not be afraid of sudden terror the sudden fear of the wicked for you're with us you're in us and you keep our foot from being taken we thank you father for choosing us to live in these last days 